Welcome to Pheasants Forever and Quail Forever's On the Wing Podcast. Buckle up and ride shotgun as we cover everything you need to know about the uplands. The habitat. The hunting. And of course, your favorite bird dogs. At Pheasants Forever and Quail Forever, our mission is focused on creating high-quality upland habitat. When the organization formed in 1982, that habitat was focused on nesting cover, cattail sloughs, food plots, and shelter belts of the upper Midwest. As chapters formed and in, in the organization moved east and south and west, those habitat projects expanded into larger grasslands of the Great Plains, riparian corridors, and pollinator plantings. And in 2005, our organization's habitat efforts expanded dramatically when we moved into the quail range with the formation of Quail Forever. We took a big jump forward again in 2010 with our role in the Sage Grouse, Sage Grouse Initiative Partnership. Uh, SGI, as it's known, opened the doors for our organization to work on upland habitat in the West, particularly focused on the sagebrush biome uh, with a wide array of partners. In today's episode, we're going to chat with three members of the Pheasants Forever and Quail Forever employee team that are helping grow the Habitat organization's upland mission in the Western United States with a focus on improving sagebrush habitat for a wide array of wildlife species that depend on sagebrush, all fitting into our upland habitat mission. So without further ado, uh, the three folks that uh, are gonna join us for this episode focused on the Western United States Fittingly, we've got our Director of Conservation Delivery in the Western U.S. Uh, uh, it, basically, punching his uh, frequent podcasting card for, like, the, I don't know, it's got to be the seventh time, Al, right? Yeah, You're, you keep bringing me back, and I, I'm not sure why, but I really appreciate it. <laughs> well, you're going you're gonna to serve as a bit of a co-host for this one, because we've got uh, two members of your team from the Western United States. We've got Kelly Dobrescu, who's the Range and Wildlife Conservation Specialist in Nevada, and Connor White, who is the, I, I, I gotta try to pronounce this correctly, the Brunel Owahi. Did I pronounce that correctly? You're close. It's Bruno Owahi. Bruno Owahi. Sage Grouse Habitat Project Outreach Coordinator in Idaho. So we're going to talk a little bit of Nevada, a little bit of Idaho, and a whole lot of sagebrush and all the wildlife species that that sagebrush upland habitat benefits. So let's uh, let's dive in with Kelly first, uh, right out of the shoots here. Kelly, welcome. To uh to the podcast, thanks for making time. And and your call, you're um checking in from the Bureau of Land Management office in what it what town, Ely, Nevada. Um, so let's let's kick it off with a little bit about yourself, where where you grew up, um, 
kind of who you are and what you do. All right. Well, I'll try to sum it up as best as I can. <laughs> um, I'm a ranch kid. I grew up uh, ranching. My dad is what they call an old timer cowboy. So we moved around a lot when I was a kid. Um, a lot of people compared me to like a military brat. <laughs> <laughs> um, so that was mostly in Southern and Eastern Oregon and in Northern Nevada. Um, I lived in some pretty remote places. Uh, I come from a rodeo family. So I rodeoed ever since I was a little girl all the way up until about 2013. Um, and that's kind of oh, where, oh, I'm uh, sorry. Tell me about rodeo. What, what do you, uh, like roping and riding? Or yeah. Were you, the, were you the barrel racer? What did you do? No, Bob, I was not a barrel racer. <laughs> uh, I did a breakaway in team roping. Uh, so so I'm, I have no idea what that means. What it, explain it to me. <laughs> so breakaway um, is a calf that you're roping okay. and you're trying to rope it as fast as you can. So usually you have a shorter rope and um, it's just you and the calf and you're trying to do it in two seconds or less. I probably rarely hit two seconds, but <laughs> those are <laughs> wow. the going times nowadays. That's pretty fun. And then team roping, uh, there's a horn steer that you're trying to rope as fast as you can. It consists hmm. of a header and a healer. So you have a roping partner. And one comes out and ropes the head, and one comes out and gets the heels. Huh. <laughs> Were we the header okay. or the healer? I started out healing, but I actually yeah. kind of switched to heading at the end. Oh, very cool. Yeah. So after rodeo, you went to to school. Um, so I went to school in two thousand and four. Um, I graduated with my associates in twenty in two thousand and eight, actually in finance. <laughs> um, I kind of didn't know if I wanted to go back to school or not, so I did take a ten year break. Um. Back then, I was working for the Forest Service as a technician. Hmm. I've been almost every technician. I feel that there is. I started out in range. It's kind of fitting because I come from ranching. Mm -hmm. um, and then I actually went back to school in 2018, and I got my bachelor's in natural resources. And wow. it's probably it's one of the best things I could have done for myself. So. Everybody that goes and gets an econ degree and then goes back and gets something else feels that way, right? Yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but that is a unique blend. Do you, do you find um, that you lean back on your eco economics background now that you're in a wildlife degree for anything that you maybe weren't expecting? Maybe there's some budget and finance things, you know, mm -hmm. uh, like with the cost of our projects. Um, it comes in handy, but, yeah. um, no, I'm kind of glad that I switched career paths and I'm doing what I'm doing now. <laughs> well, that's a perfect transition. So tell us about what you do now. So I do habitat improvement projects. And so what that means is I do a lot of conifer removal. Um, I try to 
restore our sagebrush plant communities. Okay. Um, we use a variety of methods, and um, they have a they have really big, large landscape impacts. You mentioned you do habitat work to promote sagebrush. Um, are you out there with the chainsaw cutting down trees, driving the brush hog, or or do you fulfill a different role in executing that those habitat projects? So I kind of oversee projects once we get them on the ground. We hire contractors to go out there and do the actual work, um, mm -hmm. but I do the project inspection for those. Um, okay. I help creating, I help create the statement of work and all the specs that the contractors need to abide by. Um, yeah, I kind of get to do the fun stuff. <laughs> First of all, these trees, uh, what I treat is pinyon pine and Utah juniper are the two species mm. that I mainly treat. What they've done is they've kind of trickled down in the, into the valleys. Um, they've kind of infilled in a lot of our um, vast sagebrush biome. So, and what they do is they like to steal water. They like to outcompete other perennials. Hmm. Um, and then all, that also leads way to invasives possibly come in. So I'm just really trying to diversify wildlife populations. So it's creating a more resilient uh, landscape. So that means increasing understory grasses, um, forbs, which is then forage for all kinds of wildlife, including big game, sage grouse, rabbits, you name it. Um, and these habitat improvement projects are really, they're also reducing mega wildfires, right? Mm -hmm. So we're reducing fuel loading as well. Yeah. So Bob, just to pat Kelly a little bit on the back here, you know, she, she's hitting on what we are, right? The upland, the upland bird community, the upland habitat restorers. And, you know, when Kelly talks about restoring the sagebrush and all those species, she's talking about 300 plus species that rely on sagebrush habitat community. Many of them, upland birds, many of them, other things. She talked about rabbits, there's big game, there's, there's everything you could possibly think of relies on those sagebrush communities. And uh, Kelly didn't do this in her introduction, so I'm going to embarrass her a little bit here, but she's doing it so well. The restoration works so well that she was our PF employee uh, rookie of the year uh, in 2021. So I just wanted everybody on the podcast to know you're talking to one of our superstars that's really promoting the uplands the way we want it to be promoted in the West. Oh, gosh. Thanks, Al, for that. <laughs> if I can embarrass you, Kelly, I'm going to. So, If uh, if we were recording this for video, listeners would see Kelly blushing a little bit right yep, now. I am. <laughs> Probably not coming but it, across screen, but I'm, I'm red. <laughs> um, but well-deserved kudos. And, and this, this connects very personally with you. I mean, you grew up as a big game hunter, um, I know you, you're very passionate about elk in particular, aren't you? Yes. Yes, I love elk. <laughs> so my family, um, we started out in southern southern Oregon, and my family had 80 acres um, that we used to go to when I was a little girl. So I was uh, introduced to hunting at a pretty young age. Uh, in Oregon, you can just buy a deer tag over the counter sort of thing. 
Mm. Um, I wouldn't say that anyone in my family, uh, well, they're just meat hunters, which is, mm. which is great. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, I grew up just learning how to hunt and um, hunting for a purpose. Yeah. <clears throat> and it illustrates the connection, you know, we're working on upland habitat in the, in the West, in Nevada, that's sagebrush habitat. And um, obviously a, a primary motivation of improved sagebrush is the bird that's connected to it, right? Sage grouse. Um, but it, it's, it goes back to everything. We talk about this on the podcast all the time. It's the um, everything's interconnected and by improving that upland habitat and then, you know, benefiting, you know, a, a keystone species in sage grouse, elk benefit, mule deer benefit, pronghorn benefit, insects, there's, I'm sure there's reptiles, amphibians, <laughs> all sorts of things, right? And you mentioned this earlier, Kelly, water. You know, talk about, um, you know, the, the gold of the natural planet. It's water and water quantity, particularly as you talk about in the West. And by removing those trees, um, you're helping improve the water quantity in the Western United States. Because... That's something that's hard to kind of wrap my head around is just how much water these invasive trees are sucking out. I mean, that's a huge reason for doing this habitat work to remove these trees, isn't it, Kelly? Yes, absolutely. Kelly, do and you it, know? Oh, sorry. Go. Ahead. Do you know? Oh, no. Do you know offhand what the science is saying? You know, there, there's some science out there that talks about the number of gallons a, a conifer sucks out of the out of the ground. Do you happen to know oh, what that number is? I've heard forty gallons, of, you know, per tree or yeah. something like that. Per um, day. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. So if you do a little bit of extrapolation math, and you know, some of that science is still evolving, but that's that's the numbers I've heard. You know, and so when you start talking about the landscape level work that Kelly's doing, you know, she's taking out thousands and thousands of acres of trees mm -hmm. and how many, how many trees per acre, you know, depending on the density could be hundreds of trees per acre. And you start really adding that up and the, uh, the water impacts on these uplands. I mean, everything's connected in the West, Bob, as you know, right. The uplands is where all of our water comes from, gets down into the few riparian areas and then funnels in into, into water sources for people. Mm. And uh, that's one of the really neat things that Kelly and we'll talk about Connor too. The, the really great part about why we have these folks working in these areas is PF's mission, right? Of Upland, but it's also tying to things that are more relevant or different segments of the population that there's some relevancy to, which is mm. water supply and fire. So, and, and those are really important to the communities um, in and around the West everywhere. Mm -hmm. Or do you disagree, Kelly? Did I get that all wrong? No, you got no. it right. <laughs> so when, when a lot of the folks, a lot of the biologists we have on this podcast, we often talk about the U.S. Department of Agriculture and related agencies, NRCS, FSA. <clears throat> and as I came into this episode, I mentioned you're in the Bureau of Land Management office, you're in Department Interior office. Um, tell us about the, the partnerships that, you know, put you on the ground. And then my assumption is you're working 
pretty exclusively on public land, BLM land. But, you know, is, is that truly the case? Are you doing habitat work on primarily public land or is there a mix of private land there too? Yeah, so I'm doing uh, projects on public land and I can't give you the exact number, but I think there's over 60% uh, of Nevada is, you know, BLM administered land. So mm. we're talking pretty big area. And actually the district that I'm on is 12 million acres, if that um, wow. says anything. <laughs> um, so yeah, I'm housed uh, at the BLM here. I have some really great partners. Um, I'm also, um, some other partners are Endow, Intermountain West Joint Venture. And I also work pretty closely with NRCS and DNCR or Department of Conservation and Natural Resources. I'll try not to hmm. use acronyms. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> and then sometimes I do get to work with permittees and I do some conifer removal on their allotments. Hmm. So there's multiple benefits. So, and is that happening then on private land when you're working with uh, permittees? Most of it is adjacent to private land. Okay. So. Huh. so it's almost exclusively you're working on public land, no matter who the uh, the partner is in, in your role. Yes. Yeah. Cool. Um, we're going to transition and, and get Connor involved in the conversation. Let me... Um, let me first thank uh, one of our national partners on X Maps. If you want to find more birds this hunting season, look no further than the Onyx Hunt app. Private and public land boundaries just begin to scratch the surface as to what Onyx can do for you. There are countless tools to make you a safer and more successful hunter. Onyx is trusted by millions of hunters across the United States, including me, and you can join them by downloading the app for a risk-free seven-day trial. Use the code pheasants or use the code quail during the checkout process for 20% off your membership at onyxhunt.com. And you'll be glad to know that a portion of every sale through Onyx using one of these codes goes back to Pheasants Forever and Quail Forever's, Forever's wildlife habitat mission, leading to better habitat, more wild birds, and creating more public lands for all of us to enjoy. So thanks to Onyx Maps for being a national sponsor of Pheasants Forever and Quail Forever and for being a partner in On the Wing podcast. All right, Connor, we're going to move north from uh, Kelly in Nevada to Connor, who's in Idaho. Connor, tell us a little bit about uh, your background. Did you grew up in Idaho or did you move yeah. there uh, from, from somewhere else? No, nope, I'm from Idaho and just your, yeah, your little segment on Onyx just got me thinking as like, man, my, my Onyx waypoints are some of my most treasured possessions, but we don't, <laughs> we don't, we don't talk about that. <laughs> <laughs> would, you, would you like to trade those with people? I, via I don't email? know. There's, there's no amount of money you could put on those waypoints there. Um, Connor but, was yeah. nice enough to show me one of his waypoints. He yeah. took me out, took me out chucker hunting once That's or right. twice. And uh, so thank you, Connor. <laughs> That's right. Um, but yeah, no, I'm, I was born and raised in Idaho, um, New Plymouth, Idaho, which is, uh, I guess, famous for being a planned community shaped like a horseshoe. 
um it's fun fun little fact for you to go <laughs> go look that up it's kind of cool um but no that's uh about 45 or 50 minutes west of boise just for reference really close to the oregon border hmm. um and then yeah i guess after um it's kind of got had an interest in in rangelands uh actually through through ffa um and went to went to school for that at the university of idaho in moscow up kind of northern idaho um during the summer months uh you know when i was going to school i started working as a seasonal for the blm in shoshone idaho which is really right in the heart of the snake river plain in south central idaho did um quite a bit of monitoring work for sage grouse uh, in and around like that craters of the moon area. Yeah. If you've ever looked at Idaho on a map, it's got a big, we've got a big uh, lava flow um, out there in the Snake River Plain. That's uh, craters of the moon. And yeah, we had a bunch of quite a bit of sage grouse out in there, but I tell you what, after, uh, after summers of collecting vegetation data, data in the uh, hot summer months, you kind you kind of hate sage grouse by the end of your summer. <laughs> it's like, there's only, there's only so much time you can walk around out there in a boiling hot lava rock and look at dead, <laughs> dead, dead plants before you go crazy. Um, but no, that was, that was good, good experience um, there. And then I guess after I, graduated um i worked one season with the forest service as a range technician in Mackey, idaho uh which was kind of eye-opening for me it was like man i really missed out i was like i spent spent my summers working out here in the desert when i could have been working for the forest service in this higher elevation a lot cooler hmm. uh, you know better scenery but um that was also a really good experience um and it was able to get some different, some different experience on that. Uh, one note, and I distinctly recall, uh, you know, making friends with some of the wildlife folks and being able to go up in the helicopter to do some uh, repair work on guzzlers for bighorn sheep. Hmm. Uh, in addition to just the normal range, you know, duties that we were doing that summer. Um, so that both of those i guess the education and then kind of seasonal experience i feel like teed me up fairly well for uh you know a job with pf so in uh, june of 2015 uh, i was hired on with pf in burley idaho as a sgi person down there um i was i was a sam lowry hire bob i know you just had him <laughs> on the podcast here couple episodes ago um, conservation warrior that's right yep so i uh, was able to to yeah get to work uh, work for sam there for a few years until until he moved on um and i was in that sgi position for five years down there in burley so that was june of 2015 to july of 2020 mm. um that was a really really fun fun job um that had been somewhat well established before I got there. Um, and yeah, we've still done quite a bit of good work down in that area. So as Connor, as you're, as you're talking about Idaho, I called up 
Idaho and in Nevada on a U.S. map. And so Nevada, because we obviously just talking with Kelly. And if visually, if you think about this, the southern tip of Nevada almost reaches Baja, like the Mexico border. It's a little ways, but almost. And all the way to the smokestack smoke of Idaho, you reach the Canadian border. Two states that almost span the length of the entire United States. To give you, I mean, you just think about that, the, the massive change in landscapes from the desert southwest of, of um, you know, I've chased Gamble's quail in, in southern Nevada before, all the way up to, you know, bighorn sheep and chucker country in Nevada. I mean, the two states that you both work in, Kelly and Connor, um, just a massive change in topography. The uplands mean so many different things depending on where, you, I mean, there's the birthplace of, of pheasants in the United States is just one state over in Oregon. You know, you got pheasants in Idaho, you got valley quail, you got gambles quail in Nevada. I mean, it's just, you got huns and in, in, in chuckers. Uh, it's just when you think about the span north to south from Mexico to Canada, that it's a pretty impressive visual to think about. Maybe it's in my retirement, I should hunt, walk from the southern border <laughs> in Nevada all the way up, up the smokestack. But I know. Um, anyways, that, so I, I took a little tributary there in my own mind. <laughs> but Connor, tell us, tell us about your, your new role or newer role. Um, as a sage grouse habitat project lead, uh, with the I'm gonna butcher the pronunciation again. So so help me out here. Yeah. So well, right in between in between uh, you know southern end of Nevada, northern Idaho, you have the Great Basin where Kelly and I both work. So I yeah now work uh, out of Boise, Idaho, as the uh, Bruno Waihee sage grouse habitat project coordinator. Um, we have a cool, we have a cool acronym for that one there, Bob, Bosch, <laughs> Short, shorten it up. Um, and that, that stands for basically uh, Bruno and Hawaii. Those are the two BLM field offices uh, where this mm. project is occurring. Uh, so my, my role is, in that project is pretty much just kind of overall project coordination. Um, the project itself is a 1.67 million acre project area within which uh, we have the ability to treat up to 617,000 acres of western juniper. Mm. Again, just like Kelly was talking for sage grouse habitat benefits primarily, but um, we have, you know, a myriad of other, of other benefits that come out of it. Um, so yeah, my role is just, you know, as you would expect with such a large project, we have uh, quite a few partners and then keeping them updated and informed on, you know, what's the BLM doing this year? You know, where are some of the holes that we need to plug? Um, is the, the reporting end of things. That's something else that I do kind of at the end of the year, I, I do a, a write up uh, for, for BLM that gets, that gets posted and distributed to folks. And then again, I always go back to one of the, one of the great benefits that Kelly and I have are being, 
you know, hosted through Pheasants Forever, because then we have the ability to chase outside funding. So that let's say if we are doing a BLM project, you know, the BLM has their own money for that and they go out and find contractors and go get the work done. But let's say there's some adjacent private and now maybe he's not interested in in doing things through NRCS. You know, Kelly and I have the ability to go seek outside funding from maybe our state fish and game uh, mm. who are a great partner with us or or other grant sources like uh, we've you we've had held a pretty significant NIFWIF grant uh, here in southern Idaho for the last few years. So just able to able to see the the landscape and the project as a whole and then see where we might uh, you know need to send additional resources to or something that we might be missing. Um, that's kind of what, yeah, my position does and what Kelly's able to do in hers as well. Um, yeah. So Connor on top, you know, kind of picking on you a little bit here too. I'm not going to just pick on you, Kelly. I'm going to pick on Connor too. I had a chance to go up and meet up with some of the partners that, that Connor was talking about the Intermountain West joint venture and BLM in particular. And, uh, so I don't know how you pick the people you pick to be on this, this podcast, Bob, you have another award winner. So the <laughs> BLM and Intermountain West joint venture surprised, uh, Connor with a, with a special recognition award for the work that he's doing on this Bosch area. And true to, so those of you that don't know, true to Connor form, he's all embarrassed, right? He comes up to me afterwards and says, I don't know why they gave me this award. They haven't seen anything yet. So I was like, <laughs> I can't wait to see what he does in the next year. <laughs> Well, it, it, that leads to a question that I had for you, Al. Like, it, it's no, um, it's it, it's not um, uh, lost on me that these Kelly and Connor were selected for this podcast, and they're award winners, right? They, that was that was hand picked, um, but th because there's something of a pioneering spirit in Absolutely. both of them that makes them successful, like um, Kelly. Like, there, there aren't a whole lot of pheasants forever and quail forever employees in Nevada, right? <laughs> and, and there aren't many in Idaho either, right? Like it takes a unique personality to kind of get their feet underneath them, Al, right? Yep. And then yep. also for them to be successful, it obviously is illustrated by being award winners and build credibility with partners, establish Absolutely. habitat on the ground and gain momentum for an organization that, you know, people are like pheasants for who quail for what? And then all of a sudden you put a Kelly or a Connor there and like, how do we get more of this? That's exactly it. You know, you know, out, out West, we, we, we are looking at the uplands in a little bit different viewpoint, right? You touched on it. We have uplands from Alpine all the way down to desert and we have opportunities to do great work for, all kinds of different species that, you know, Kelly and Connor were talking about that, that overlap. And so one of the things we don't have a whole lot of in the West are a lot of pheasants. We have quail everywhere, but there is, there is a little bit of a, a, a Western culture. I mean, what do people think about when they come to the West? They think about cool vistas, giant elk, big mule deer, uh, maybe a little bit later down the road, they're thinking about sage grouse and some of those other iconic species, but not really quickly are they thinking about the 20 or so upland bird species that we actually can hunt in the west and those experiences that they can have out west so one of the things people that i look for and, and connor and kelly are exactly what we're looking for are, are those sparks right how do we build the credibility with 
with the agencies, with the public as to what is Pheasants Forever all about? Oh, that's that Midwestern, you know, mm-hmm. they're just working on working with farmers and corn. No, we're, we're working on uplands. We take mm-hmm. that part of our mission very seriously. And we have opportunities to build all kinds of credibility with our partners through upland work. And sometimes that does mean, you know, when we're talking to some partners, like, hey, we know you're interested in wintering areas. You know, Connor and Kelly are pretty, pretty familiar with wintering areas for elk and deer. That's also prime sage grouse habitat that's also you know depending on where you are it could be columbian sharks it's all kinds of different things that go along with that so what we've had to do is build on our credibility of our organization bring in people like kelly and connor to show what we can do how we can impact the habitat regardless of what those multiple multiple benefits are and we talked about not just the species right we already talked about fire and water and that's going to translate not only from the sagebrush but even into the forests, potentially. I mean, that's on the news every once in a while. Mm-hmm. Um, and even down the desert part of the world where I'm at, you know, Bob, you got a chance to walk around some of those deserts too. And if a fire goes through the Sonoran Desert, that's no different than something happening in the tundra. That's a that's a 50 to 60 year recovery period just because of how long it takes. But those invasives come in and do those kinds, and it can create that fire hazard. So having people like Kelly and Connor are really what I'm banking on and PF to a certain extent is banking on for our growth in the West. It's, it's, it's building that credibility with, with our partners to say we can do great things for habitat and for uplands. And that's yeah. what we're doing. Right. I really well said. Uh, Kelly and Connor, when you think about your roles, what, uh, so it's a two part question for each of you. And we'll, we'll start with Connor and bounce to, to Kelly. Um, when you think about your role with the organization, what's the biggest challenge? What's the biggest hurdle that you face? That's the first part. Then also tell us what uh, biggest sense of gratification when you're, uh, what, what generates the fist pump um, <laughs> in your role in the organization? Yeah, no, that's, that's a great, that's a great question, Bob. And I would say for me, uh, some of the, my, my biggest challenge was right when I right when I got to this position, it was just, you know, we did, we did a couple of days of driving tours and just wrapping my head around the scope of of the project. Right. And what what we had going on, because this this Bosch project is is honestly only one project that the Boise District BLM, you know, it's it's not there. It's not our only project that's going on out here. Mm. This is, you know, kind of I would say my baby is Bosch and I. Yeah, have limited involvement on the other ones, but um, just just wrapping my head around the scale uh, is 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 still difficult sometimes. Uh, that and then you know, kind of uh, we're out here feels like sometimes sitting on an island. You know, mm-hmm. it's just just me kind of doing that. You know, here in Boise, some nearest coworkers are some distance away. Um, we have we have a fun group text that that goes on that helps with that. But, um, for, for gratification, um, I would say the biggest thing is all, all things in perspective, right. Is when I, when I sit back and think about it is the honest answer is no one else in the world gets to do exactly what I do. Mm. Um, and it's, it's a pretty dang cool job. You know, when you sit back and actually think about what it is I get to do and how I get to do it. Um, it's pretty freaking awesome. Yeah, that that is cool, and that's a unique perspective to to know that nobody else in the world is going to touch the habitat and have the benefits that you that you can generate through the unique uh, career opportunity that you have. 
Um, Connie, uh, Connie, Kelly, same, same question. Um, uh, biggest hurdle and uh, biggest fist pump generator. Well, the biggest hurdle, um, Connor touched on it, kind of out west here, you kind of do feel like you're on a island all by yourself. A lot of these positions are pretty new. Um, mm -hmm. And the type of upland work that we're doing, you kind of have to pave your own way because we are, there's many miles separated, separating us from our co-workers. So we kind of have to pave our own way. I'm concerned about water, honestly, mm. and these projects. I can't really control the weather, although, you know, I'd like to. <laughs> um, but, you know, back to the, to the drought and how I mentioned earlier, you know, all of our wildlife species have been impacted by it. So, you know, that means a lot of recruitment is down and you know, so it makes it more difficult to restore these natural site conditions, right? Mm. So we're doing the best that we can. I'm very passionate about my career and what I'm doing. So it's kind of a big driver. Um, as far as like the big hoorah, I love making impacts on large landscapes. Mm. I mean, just the amount of land we have out here and seeing these projects like down a valley or, you know, on the foothills, these treatments and seeing the elk come back, mm. seeing the deer come back, seeing all of this habitat, you know, that's just really drives it home for me. Right on. It, it's, it's no surprise that both of you, like the on the ground results are what generates the fist pump. Al, go ahead. <laughs> no, I was just going to say, I was like, oh, when you asked that question, Bob, what's the biggest hurdle? I was like, they're going to say it's the, the regional director. It's just a pain in the butt. <laughs> so in a different way, they said it, right? The, the isolation, right? And the connectivity. That's a real challenge mm. in the in the West. You know, when we talk about these, these landscapes, um, they're huge, right? And there are big, big gaps between them. And so I can't thank you, Kelly and Connor, uh, more for having the passion to stick with it. I mean, you know, it is a challenge and it is something that we're definitely looking to make sure that we include, you know, bring all of our staff in so that they know they're part of this Pheasants Forever family um, to help you to help feed that passion that you both have clearly demonstrated. And so um, I just wanted to thank you both, even despite the hurdles and you guys being nice enough not to point it right at me. Um, <laughs> it's, uh, it's such an amazing thing to watch the two of you and all of our Western region staff and really all of our staff in, in Pheasants Forever, right? Folks just really relying on that passion and, and how important it is for you, each of you to do, to make a difference in the world. And you guys are, and it's just amazing to watch from where I'm sitting. So I just wanted to thank you. Cool. Uh, as, as we round the corner and go to, to wrap up um, the conversation, I'm going to ask each of you for, for closing thoughts. Um, as we do that, if folks in Nevada or folks in Idaho want to reach out to you, ask questions about the organization in the state, or, or more specifically, maybe um, they have projects that they'd like some, some guidance on to do some tree removal to help sagebrush. Um, Kelly, what, what's your email address if somebody wanted to reach out and ask you a question? Yeah, so um, it's K Debrescu, the letter K, and then D O B R E S C U 
at blm.gov or kdebrescu at pheasantsforever.org. So you got to check two email addresses. Even. Two emails every day. <laughs> uh, Connor, what's your email address or addresses? Uh, yep. So similar to Kelly, I also sit at a BLM office. So I have cdwhite at blm.gov or cwhite at pheasantsforever.org. <laughs> oh, two work, two work email addresses. I guess we, we have that too. Um, we have pheasantsforever.org and quailforever.org email address as well yeah, yeah. um all right so closing thoughts let's uh let's start with uh with connor go to kelly and al you can put a bow on it for us all right oh man you make me go first again here <laughs> so I, I would just say that there's a lot and we're, we're trying to get better at it here but there's a lot of stuff that occurs in idaho and really across the west that i feel like a lot of our members may not may not know about or not know enough about as they should and that's that's probably some of our fault um you know just on telling our telling our story um i just well today just kicked out uh, uh kind of first first annual report uh for our idaho you know activities to some partners um so i think we're going to try to to get better at that mm. uh, i'm on our reporting work group for the organization uh, which is going to really help us uh, with some of our, you know, just lining up some of our reporting things. And I, I feel like a lot of our members in the West are people who may be interested in becoming members. Uh, you know, if they just have a sense of what, what we're doing out here on the landscape and how much we really are involved in a lot of these big landscape level projects. Um, yeah. I, th I think a lot of people will be surprised. Yeah. Um, so here in the next few years, we're hoping to really improve on that and show people what we're doing and what we're capable of. That's a really good point. You talk about the massive size of acres that you're impacting with tree removal and, you know, sage grouse are sort of the obvious, but Al mentioned, you know, all the different species of quail. There are pheasants and for sure in, in parts of Idaho. And then it, he also mentioned, you know, like, well, the West is known as the big game heaven, yes. right? And Kelly, you know, clear example of a passion for, for elk in particular, you know, and the habitat work of our organization is benefiting so many of those species that, you know, whether you're dyed in the wool um, bird hunter or a generalist, or you just care about healthy ecosystems, we're, we're producing a lot of good quality habitat that's benefiting everything all the way to water quantity, which is a uh, critically important deliver delivery um, of our habitat mission. But well you stated, bet. Connor. No, I've got, I've got one more deal because the same, same thing, Bob, uh, guess, guess how many pheasants I shot last year. <laughs> oh, I've been waiting for this. <laughs> it, it, it is equal to the number of elk that I shot. Oh, wow. Which, which is one. Okay. <laughs> so, you know, you think about, it's like, yeah, I'm a life member of pheasants forever. And I only got one rooster last year. I shot some chucker and got an elk with my bow. So it's not Connor, you, you got nothing to complain about. You got 10 upland yeah. bird species to chase around. It would have cost you like $5 for an elk tag and a mule deer tag. I mean, Idaho's set up pretty nice. Yes. <laughs> yeah. All right, Kelly, go ahead. What are your closing thoughts? 
Well, uh, final thoughts. Well, I just want to thank you guys for having us. Um, I just really wanted to come on here and try to tell our story about the West. And a lot of people have questions and assumptions. And there's also a lot of misinformation out there, what we're doing on the landscape. So I think a big part of what makes us successful in our jobs is we need to be comfortable talking about it, right? Mm -hmm. So, you know, I mentioned my email at the beginning um, here a little while ago. And I mean, if people have questions about it and why we're cutting down these trees, I mean, mm. by all means, send me an email. I'd love to talk to you about it um, because it's important and what we're doing is important and we're making differences. So, yeah, it's kind of all I have. Right. Uh, and you can oh, tell that it really matters to you, too. I mean, it, it, it's, you know, it's written across your face that this is part of it's not just a job for you this is part of the fabric of who you are isn't it yes absolutely yeah all right al bring us home we're rounded Boy, third that's a that's a big challenge no i just want to kind of tag on to some of the things connor and kelly both brought up you know the the upland focus that we have you know our members need to be be uh, aware that that's what our focus is even if some of the messages coming out of the west may not be traditional messages. We may talk about deer and elk because we're making a huge impact there, mm. but the upland, the focus is always on that upland habitat and how do we restore the habitats? And the reason we do that, you know, we touched on it and these guys, you know, we're following the passions of our people. We're following, finding ways to make, to matter with our partners, but it's also to kind of matter to even more people, bring more people into the conservation community, bring more people into the PF world. Right. Mm -hmm. And so people that may not necessarily, you know, think first off, oh, I'm, you know, I, I, care about pheasants and quail if they do care about water or if they do care about their communities with fire or they do care about elk our underlying message on everything we do always always is what type of upland habitat can we impact and how do we do that the best way we can and kelly and connor are just huge examples of that right and i think it's just an opportunity for pf to to uh strengthen our our, our uh position in the Western Western conservation community, but also strengthen our position with the people, you know, and, and reach more people. And every, every, every organization is trying to do this. Every one of our partners is trying to do this. Uh, we shouldn't, we shouldn't be afraid to embrace the broad message of we, we can impact multiple things mm -hmm. with a primary focus on upland birds for one group or a different group may be focused on something else, but we're all doing the same thing, working on those uplands to create a better place and bring more people to conservation. And I think that's, you know, what Kelly and Connor are doing. Right. It connects right down to our slogan, the habitat yep. organization. And right. <clears throat> we, Absolutely. we have a voice for the Hoplins. Yep. yep. Well, Al and Kelly and Connor, thank you so much for, for sharing your story, at least for, for the day we, we, uh, not on any island. We're in the podcast <laughs> community together. Um, really appreciate uh, the conversation and, and all the work you're doing. Could tell that uh, each of you it really means a tremendous amount, and and that's what makes you successful. Truly, in states where we don't have a lot of employee presence yet, <laughs> yet. yet, yet, yet. So, uh, Connor will. Uh, well, one day you'll be able to shoot more 
pheasants than than elk in, in Idaho, right? <laughs> That's right. Now you didn't say yeah. anything about your shooting prowess in that story, but we'll let yeah. we'll, we'll, <laughs> <laughs> nah, nah, really appreciate the conversation and uh thank you, the listener, for following along. Whether you live in Idaho, Nevada, Delaware, Rhode Island, or Iowa, we need you to join our Upland Habitat Conservation Mission. Please get on board, become a member. It's 35 bucks, or you can become a life member. It doesn't matter where you get started. Um, please sign up and become a member of pheasantsforever.org or quailforever.org. You'll be helping us fulfill our habitat mission for pheasants, for quail, for sage grouse, for elk, for pronghorn, for water quality, for soil, for public spaces and public places and beautiful vistas. Thanks for listening to this episode of On the Wing Podcast. I'm Bob St. Pierre reminding you, always follow the dog. Something <laughs> good will rise. Thank you.